last week at, at one church anyway, we, we explored the idea of the origin of race. And we have at Table Talks, I know that Grace has, we have in other ways. Um, but looking at the idea that race was not part of God's creation in, in Genesis, but instead really came out of the 1400s, really came out of um, a way to monetize the stealing of bodies and the separating of identity from African and specifically tribal or national identity to being something else and really exchanged for this idea of we'll give you Christianity, though we all know Christianity was present right. in Africa already. Um, and since then, there's systems and structures of government and of church that have been established based on the system of race. Um, I bring up all that to say how how has history led us here, and what responsibility do we have um, to our history? Yeah, so I think that it's really, really important. In the African culture, there is a term called Sankofa, um, and Sankofa means um, that you reach back and get um, in order to move forward. Um, and so when you have that understanding that our history really does set the trajectory for everything else, and how we've lived out um, slavery and racism, um, it's really, really important to understand it, to acknowledge it, to embrace it. Um, um, we can't ignore it. Um, people often say, um, well, I've never owned any slaves, or I've never, uh, uh, I've never um, <laughs> uh, told a black person that they can't do this, or I've never uh, uh, lynched anybody. That's true. Maybe you as an individual didn't. But historically, that has happened by people who look like you. That happened maybe four or five generations, potentially, from your grandfather, your grandfather's father. And so what has to happen is we can't negate someone's uh, history and their experience that's embedded in that history um, if we plan to move forward. We have to acknowledge the fact of the slave trade. We have to acknowledge the fact that the Puritans, when they came over here, they they systematically eliminated the, the indigenous people that were here. We have to acknowledge the fact that um, that slaves were seen as three fifths of an individual, and we were we were we were uh, sold and, and 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 traded like cattle. We have to acknowledge the fact that that once the that the the, the, the United States was free, um, that didn't mean that we were free. We're coming up on Juneteenth. Um, Juneteenth. Um, we celebrate the fact that there were slaves down in Texas a whole year later um, who received their emancipation after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Um, and so we have to acknowledge the fact that our history uh, as a country has set a trajectory for how people of color, um, black people in particular, have been treated um, systematically. Um, and once we can look at that history and embrace it and say, you know what, that is true. That's not made up. Like the Jim Crow was real. The black codes are real. Uh, the, the school to prison pipeline, it's real. Mass incarceration, it's real. And it all started historically with this original sin of slavery um, and how we saw another person that God created equally, but we treated them unequally. Yeah, so I'm thinking of people who contextually are, they don't understand the outrage over George Floyd mm -hmm. or Breonna Taylor. Um, thinking of a few emails that I got today uh, that were actually talking about What's happening in Louisville, and they refer to both people refer to it as riots. 
and like, okay, let's let's use correct language. I mm -hmm. see protests. Right, right, right. Um, These are demonstrations. Right, right. And even there's a difference, mm -hmm. right? Protest mm -hmm. is long term. Mm -hmm. Demonstration is pointing out injustice and and like there even in that there is this defending of a posture towards black and brown bodies and and calling out the danger of a fire mm -hmm. or the danger mm -hmm. on a building mm -hmm. um, the danger of looting the danger of a crowd like the perceived danger of people who are doing the injustice of stopping my car or slowing my travel right um, inconveniencing me right yeah. now there are people who are saying that who dearly love Jesus as well what do you say to that person who is who is trying to really follow after the heart of Jesus and lives with this view of not seeing all the context that we just talked about. Yeah, so a couple things. I, I, I was I was thinking about this on the way in today. Um, you know, protests, riots, they, they're, they're really, they're all demonstrations. Um, some last longer than others, but they're really demonstrations of frustration, demonstrations of anger, um, demonstrations by individuals and their allies um, of a message that needs to be heard. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King says that um, that a protest is a language of the unheard, that we literally have tried to get a message out for so long and nobody's heard us. We've been trying to tell you that we're hurt, that we're tired, that we've been disrespected for so long. And finally, we have no other resolve but to drop everything that we're doing and protest to hit the streets. We're going to stop businesses, stop cars, uh, stop everything so that you can hear that we're not taking this anymore. Um, and so I've been trying to because I've had those emails and phone calls too, trying to get people to understand that these don't ignore um, these protests um, as um, hypersensitive people or or they're just they're just running away with the narrative that's just not true. The reality of the matter is is that America's had this day of reckoning coming for a while. And people of color have been saying for the longest, hey, this is not equal. And it took the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery to finally tip it over, but it, it was already leaning towards this direction. And so we can't ignore it. Um, and when you think about demonstrations of frustration, one of the things that I was reminded of today is Jesus went into the temple. He turned over tables. Right. He turned over a whole table um, in his justified anger because his father's house had been made a den of thieves. And so I'm just going to lean into it. If Jesus can flip a table, I can flip a table. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what we see in the streets today. We see people who are turning over tables, who are screaming to the top of their lungs like Black Lives Matter, um, uh, no justice, no peace, because they've been saying it in their offices. They've been saying it in their churches. They've been saying it in their circles for so long and nobody's heard them. They went the, 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 the political route. They went the, the legal route. They filed injunctions. They've done all these things that we've been told to do and the system still has not given us what we have the right to have and so you see down on these streets people who are saying look no we're going to stop everything and we're going to deal with this right now because i can't watch another george floyd i can't watch another i can't hear about another cover-up like brianna taylor i can't watch another videotape of ahmaud arbery's getting shot and killed i can't watch another philando castillo like just 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 he was shot in his car in front of it. Like, I can't watch any more of that. And we can't be numb 
to that. And so these protests um, have validity. Um, these people have voices. We have voices. And these voices need to be heard. And so for all my Christian sisters and brothers who may not feel comfortable with it, that's okay. You can be uncomfortable with it. But this is how people are getting it out. And I would rather them get it out than to implode, which they've been doing for generations. Yeah. I think of my little Anna, who doesn't have words for everything and certainly doesn't feel heard in a lot of ways. And she's, she's 15 now. And she wants stuff like a 15-year-old. Mm. And uh, every now and then she'll have a meltdown because she wanted a cheeseburger and we gave her a taco. And um, it's bad. You know, it's like a 15-year-old mm -hmm. meltdown, crying, telling no daddy, no mommy, all this, a big scene. But you never see that and, like, want to punish her. Yeah. You just know she's frustrated. She's not hurt. She's not... She feels not seen. She feels like she doesn't have the right words. And um, I can't help but feel some of that sympathy. And even some of that righteous anger rise up in me um, for people who aren't hurt. Yeah. And, and, and have tried 50 different routes to be hurt, have tried the suggested paths, and it didn't work. It didn't. Amara, we can't go for a run today. Yeah. Or we're told to trust in a system that on paper should work, but it's a system that was never designed for you to win in the first place. You know, the, one of the conversations that I tell people, you know, people shout Black Lives Matter and somebody shouts back, well, all lives matter. Yes, all lives do matter. You're absolutely right. I will never negate that. But all lives are not equal. And so when we start having conversations around the justice system and policing and, and mass incarceration, we have to understand the system was not set up for us to win in the first place. It wasn't until almost what, 150 years ago, maybe less than that, that we were seen as less than three-fifths of a person. Like, who even came up with that fraction? But whatever, you know? And so the system, the deck when people lean back into the, their, their first, second, third, fourth amendment rights, those, those documents were not drawn up for all people. They were not drawn up for black people. They were not drawn up for indigenous people. They were not drawn up for Latino people. They were not drawn up for Asian people. They were drawn up so that the white men that were in that room, they didn't even consider their wives. White women weren't even considered in, the, in the, many of those documents. Um, they were drawn up so that they could decide how they would treat each other fairly. We were not considered as part of that. And so when you tell somebody to go back to trust the system, why would I trust the system that has systematically and intentionally for centuries ignored my voice and told me that I was less than a person? That's crazy. That's ridiculous. When I hear you say that, I think of Ibram Kendi who talks about racism being always shifting legislation and, and, and thought around the idea of racist. So redefining racist, yeah. part of what it is. So yeah. three-fifths of a person, you go back and look at that, the whole concept was the South wanted to have enough power and legislation. Mm -hmm. So people from Africa had to have some, they had to count somewhat, Something, but not equal. Yep, yep. And Northerners didn't want them to count at all. And so three-fifths was the best compromise there. And then you get to things like uh, redlining and rezoning of voting districts and 
redoing requirements for voting and like all of this silly mm-hmm. stuff. It's the same system. Yep. We just no longer can count someone as three fifths, right. so we just don't let them count at all. Right. Um, and I think part of looking at history is realizing that that like oh we we've done this since day one. Yes. Yes. And, and we've been educated and grown in the system. Yes. Maybe I was a northerner, so I feel like my hands are clean. Yes. And my people immigrated after slavery, so my hands are clean. No, I was I was learned in this. Yes. And so racist thought and pattern entered into my life, mm-hmm. uh, just by being alive in this in this context. And it's been so embedded. The system has been so embedded. So you you that's been your experience as a white man. So as a black man, I remember growing up and my grand my grandmother and my great grandmother and my great aunts, women who loved the Lord and were very educated women and very strong women, telling me, Don't you talk to that white man like that. You say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You say yes, sir, no, sir. So so embedded in me was this survival tactic that was handed down to me because they knew the system was not in me. And so um, my wits, my humor is a defense mechanism to keep me safe. My Because I got to make people comfortable because I understand, well, I'm not a tall black man. I'm a big black man. I want people to be comfortable with my presence. And, 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 and yes, I've got degrees and I pass a church and I've got children. But you don't see all that when I walk into the room. All you see is my skin, my size. And if I'm too loud, then that's intimidating. So I've got to make you comfortable. And I've got to smile. I've got to look in your eyes. And I've got to shake your hand. And I've got to say, yes, sir, no, sir. And so where Matt may only have to give 100%, Mac has to give 250% because the people in the room have to be comfortable with his presence before they hear anything that he has to say. And so the system has been embedded in both of us in very different ways. For you, it helps you, you know, walk into this privilege that you may or may not have known or lived into, but it was there and it was kind of set up for you. For me, it's been it's embedded into our survival tactics um, that we don't say what we want to say because we're scared we're going to lose our job. And if we lose our job, then we'll get blackballed. And if we get blackballed, then how am I going to feed my family? So what I do is I take it all in and I hold it all in and I hold it all in. And maybe I medicated with drinking or maybe I medicated with drugs because I've been treated so daggone unfairly at my job or I get paid less than what somebody. And so the system just it, it over and over and over and over again lives into how we live our everyday lives. And again, it has finally like come to a head and people have to realize like, oh, I didn't realize that I had this privilege or, oh, I didn't realize that I've really been stifling my own voice and throwing away my rights because it makes people uncomfortable. But I'm sick of that now. Right. And that's why we're so well, even in your example there. I think the, the symptom gets blamed, right? It's because you were drinking yeah, like, absolutely. Well, that's that's another man who's it's another black man who's yeah that fell under yeah. Oh, it ignores everything. Uh, we've gone together a lot of places, and we've gone at some pretty challenging times in our own lives personally. We even went to another country together, <laughs> and um, one of the things I've noticed is I walk into a room, and if I'm angry, my face looks angry. Mm-hmm. And more often, I'm sad or tired. Mm-hmm. I look sad or tired, and I get praised for that, that I'm vulnerable, that I'm being sincere, that I'm being honest. And I've traveled with you enough that 
when the two of us are talking, you're angry or you're sad. And then when we hop in a van or when we go into a room for a meeting or something, you instantly have to turn around for that room. Yeah. You not even just smiling. You have to be hilarious yeah. <laughs> because that's like yeah. what the room requires of you. And, um, I've had the gift of walking next to you because we're both angry. And then we walk in and I'm angry and mm-hmm. comforted mm-hmm. and you are the jester mm-hmm. and, um, entertaining Mm -hmm. but there's no real fair space for you to be publicly angry or comforted well and and really and it's and it's and it's entertaining so now that i've got you at a comfortable place you can hear me say this is really messed up y'all right and where i've had to come um and wrestle with myself is going i'm done with that i'm done with making you feel comfortable with my truth I'm done with making you feel comfortable because speaking truth to power is not a, hard conversations. I've been saying this a lot over the last couple of weeks for those who are taking notes. Hard conversations are heart conversations and heart conversations are never easy conversations. And sometimes we try to give sugar and make things sweeter so they can go down. But no, sometimes I need you to feel how blanked up this is right here. And Maybe I I laugh it off to numb myself to tell you this to make the room come. I'm over that. I'm over that. Um, and I think a lot of people are over that. Um, and so yeah, so yeah, it was always it was always given to me a tactic. Like I, I my mother has the best bill collector voice mm-hmm. in the world. And um, I've, I've actually heard people say I thought you were a white woman talking to your telephone. Why? Because my mother had to change her tone, her posture. Um, of who she is when she's talking to certain people. I grew up watching my mom do that, right? Um, and that was a survival tactic for us. Um, and so it, it was just passed down, and I do the exact same thing. Um, but now I'm learning that I am not going to apologize for what truth is because we can never heal if we don't acknowledge what truth is. Um, and I can never stand in the place that I believe God has created and called me to be if I'm always trying to make folk comfortable instead of saying, oh, yo, this is the reality and we need to deal with it. I feel like we need to hear this. And, and we, we being everybody, like because I think a lot of us are stifling our voice a lot of us are finding a way into the room by putting on a persona and a lot of us are requiring others to do that yeah uh, i also notice there's just a level of articulateness that that whiteness often requires mm. that you have mm-hmm. to say everything precise and concise and exact or it's dismissed mm-hmm. and um that's just anti-biblical that's just opposite Mm-hmm. Of, of what's fair. So this idea of being racist. Um, I asked a few of my friends who, who live in white skin. And to them, the R word is worse than the N word. Mm-hmm. And to entertain the idea of being racist is offensive to their core. Mm-hmm. Because if they're racist... That's all that they are, mm-hmm. right? And, and yet, I think if we're really looking at uh, the goal not being less racist, but actually like anti-racist, there there is parts of uh, 
back, back to Ibram Kendi, but he says all people, black, brown, and white people who, who are racist tendencies, like where you had to adjust, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and I think there's a pocket of us who are realizing, okay, I am racist and I need to call that out. And I am 20% racist and I need to uproot that. Mm -hmm. And so there, on the hopeful end, I think there is a pocket of people who are experiencing real uh, repentance right now. Mm -hmm. Real like collectively, I am sorry the system did this, but personally I am sorry that I silenced your voice, my voice, mm -hmm. that I have lived um, with this racism alive in me and acted like there was room for it and Jesus to coexist. Mm -hmm. um, to that person who is experiencing the weight of this type of repentance. And, and, and I, I mean this type being, that's at the core of our identity too. It's not right. like a sin that we casually do that we don't identify with. But sadly, as we realize that racism is a part of it, that's, that's a sin we have identified ourselves with. So mm -hmm. the person who's feeling the weight of that repentance, um, I wonder if you have any, any words for them. Yeah, so Second Chronicles, um, familiar passage, um, if my people who are called by name should humble themselves and pray, seek my face, then turn from the wicked ways, then when they hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And I've been meditating on that scripture recently um, because a lot of people want to have prayer services. And, and I agree that prayer is, is definitely phenomenal. Um, and definitely necessary, so I'm not negating prayer at all. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that there needs to be a prayer revival um, because if we're going to move with God, we need to be in alignment with God, and it starts with prayer. So I start with that. Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, then turn from their wicked ways. That turn from the, that, is, that is repentance right there. And in order for us to turn from something, I gotta first acknowledge that I'm in the wrong direction, right? I've gotta acknowledge this is where I am right now. This is not where I wanna be. This is where I shouldn't be. I need to turn from it. I've gotta acknowledge from it, right? So there's, there's this acknowledgement. And then there is this repentance. Lord, forgive me for even being in this place. In the first place, I don't know how I got here. Maybe I could blame it on my mama. Maybe I could, or maybe I could just say, you know what? I've always known that I was here and it's never bothered me and nobody's ever called me on it or I've ignored the conviction that you try to lay on my heart, whatever the case may be. But I, I acknowledge where I am, I'm repenting, and now I'm taking the action to actually move in another direction, right? Um, so understanding that repentance is not just acknowledging and confessing, but it's acknowledging, confessing, and then moving and shifting your entire trajectory. Not 360, but completely 180, turning from where I was at to where I am. And for a lot of people who are in the repentance process, the turning from is actually the hard part, right? Like, what does it mean now? Because turning from means I might have to sacrifice some stuff. I may have to sacrifice my position. I may have to sacrifice my, uh, my friends. I may have to sacrifice some money to legitimately turn from where I am to say, that's not where I want to be. I may have to... I, I may have to cut up my country club membership 
because I know that they do racial profiling and they don't allow certain people to be a part of this club. And so I've got to turn from that because true repentance um, um, not only just moves the heart, it moves the body, right? It moves every bit of the action. And so for my sisters and brothers that are having in any points of that repentance place, whether it's acknowledging, confessing, or moving, know that that is, those are the steps that, that scripture speaks to, that we got to acknowledge where we are, that the truth is messy, it's ugly, it is uncomfortable, um, that yes, I may have been living in a place of racism or I've, I have had some racist thoughts. I had to call a pastor out the other day um, who I love deeply and I, he's a good brother, he's a good man, I believe he loves the Lord, but he started making some really racist Chinese jokes and he was just, oh, well, you know, it's just da 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 and he started speaking this real Chinese dialect and I'm like, that's racist. That's racist. So, and he's like, I know it's not. And we went back and forth. I said, I'm going to tell you one more time as a person of color, I'm offended and I'm not even Asian. That's racist. Furthermore, you wouldn't have done that while he was here. You waited for him to leave. So that means clearly you knew that what you were about to say or do was wrong. Some or other you thought it was going to be okay in front of me and I'm going to let you know that it's not. So I'm going to acknowledge, you're going to acknowledge where you are, confess that it's a sin and then turn from where you are. Um, and, and, and know that God is so gracious that um, that in his great love for all of us, that he's he's waiting for us to turn around because he's standing right there with arms right open, right? Um, and that's how we grow together as the body of Christ because all of us have a lot to turn from and turn to God in. And it's not just you by yourself. We're in this together. Um, so so, so to, to that sister or brother that is in that place of like going through the repentance process, understand it may be rough and it may be uncomfortable, but again, heart conversations are hard conversations. But if we really want to be in the right place on righteousness, on the right side of history and in right standing in relationship with our sisters and brothers, then it's a necessary conversation. It's a necessary uh, confession. It's a necessary redirection and movement because I want to make sure that if I truly believe that Jesus came, that I may have life and life more abundantly, I believe that he came, that all of us came, that we might have life and my more abundantly. I want to make sure that that I'm living that out in harmony with my sisters and brothers. Um, and so it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. It's going to make you wrestle with some things that you believed, uh, I would say, generationally. Yeah. But it's necessary. Yeah. And in that, I think, like that verse is said collectively, right? Mm -hmm. It's written collectively. When we all, that's a that's a y'all. Mm -hmm. When, when yes. y'all repent, mm -hmm. I'll heal your land. And it's not saying like you you repent for your individual stuff. It's like you repent for your collective sin. So yeah. I've got some work to repent for my own racism, but then I have to be a part of the larger body that repents for our systemic racism. Yeah. And both need to happen. And we can't expect, like it, it's it's unbelievable for us to Pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done right here on earth as it is in mm -hmm. heaven. If we are not humbling ourselves right. and praying and repenting, right. turning back, particularly right now in this time over racism, not just this time, but like the yes. history of this nation. Yes. And not just black and white, but but our First Nation brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our Latinx brothers and sisters. Like, um, this is a big deal. Now, now I know in my own life of repenting and let me just say this I, I i've been in this with one church and with 
y'all, this is like four or five years. Mm-hmm. I'm not pretending that I'm anything, but reading a lot of books and, and having a lot of these conversations, you're my friend and you don't do the, the smiley thing. You're okay saying something harsh to mm-hmm. me. And, and just, I, I say all this to say, I am this month finding parts of myself that are still racist. And if that's me, then I, I think for a lot of us, white people particularly who operate in white spaces, it's time to look because there's something there. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not assume there isn't. Um, but in my own life, I'm learning that there's a lot of intersectionality. There's a lot of times that race and class get mudded in my understanding. Mm. Or race and physical place. Mm-hmm. That white places and why they are white and and black spaces and why they are black and um, white spaces that are multi-ethnic but are still just white spaces yeah. where people are given a access mm-hmm. um, but nothing else. Um, I don't even know what the question is there, but I, I think just the level and the depth of how uh, for us collectively homophobia is often mixed in with mm-hmm. racism and all of these big national sins and really things that we're trying to get policy and procedure around mm-hmm. are all of our fears that are really mixed with racism and I guess I say all that to just say uh, what have you seen in that in those intersections or overlaps so I think so you spoke to a couple of things I think that if you allow the Lord and sit and do the work the Lord will reveal what's really going on inside your heart, right? Um, all of us, if it's not racism, it's classism. It's, there is something somewhere, somehow, because we're all works in progress, that needs to be dealt with. And so that, that, that scripture, going back to the second Chronicles, to humble yourself means to sit in a posture and a position to go, I do not have this all together. I, you know, I... I I do believe Black Lives Matter. Um, I do believe there should be justice for George and Brianna. Um, I do believe I've got a black friend. I go to a multi-ethnic church. I'm doing really, really good. There's no racism in my heart. I even get to black, black causes. But if you sit and you do the work um, and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in your heart, he'll reveal some things that are in there that you have to deal with. Um, and so I think that's that's the biggest thing, right? And, and you're right. It, it could be something as small as a microaggression, or why you don't shop on a certain part of town, or, um, uh, or, or 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 classism, like you said. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit to say, Father, I know that I don't have it all together. Now I I, I do do all those other things that I so proudly proclaim, but there are some places where I've I've kind of sheltered off from you, right? Um, because sacrificially I'm not really ready to give that part of myself up and that is a conversation that we have with the Holy Spirit on a continuous basis to make sure that our heart is in right standing I have had to make conversations with the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit work on my heart just in the last couple weeks because I I struggled with even wanting to have these type of conversations because I feel like um, especially in a denomination like ours, it's, it's predominantly white. Now, it is growing multi-ethnically, but when there are black issues that rise, people call the black pastors and go, oh, well, what's wrong with y'all now? 
and and we sit there and and then we have to have the conversation and help us understand da, da, da. and so I got exhausted like I uh, compassion fatigue is real um, and I was like I'm done and I don't want to have these conversations and if they don't get it I don't want to do it da, 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 da. and the Lord really had to deal with my heart in that those who are called to teach don't get to pick the subject and they don't get to pick the time and I said oh so when you said yes to ministry Mac you said yes to ministry in hard times, in good times. I love One Church, so having this conversation with you, um, you and Jamel are like brothers to me. So like, we and we have these conversations quite often, right? So so this is easy. But there have been a harder conversation that I've had to have. Um, there have been some situations recently within the last 24, 36 hours that I've had to search within my heart because I wanted to hold on to my righteousness, my self-righteousness, and be like, no, they're wrong. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve my voice. They don't deserve my presence. And the Lord is like, you're being self-righteous and how are you showing me in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I've had to step back and acknowledge and confess and repent and turn away from that because the Lord is still working on me. And so um, we are in a very unique place um, in the world where we've got this, this, this viral pandemic that has literally forced all of us into places of social isolation where you can't go anywhere. And now the Lord is dealing with our hearts and you can't run from it. You can't have a good fancy church and, and church it away. You, you can't go to a revival and have somebody lay hands on it. And you just cry. No, you've got to sit in it and deal with it. Um, and that's a good thing. Like, I really feel like that's a good thing if you allow the Holy Spirit to fully do the work in your life that you want him to do in your life. Um, and so, um, and so, so allow, allow him in. And when some things come up, some things are exposed, receive that because uh, God really does want to fully transform our hearts into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's not until we allow the Holy Spirit in to do that work in our hearts and we, and we submit ourselves to, 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 to him working in and through our hearts, can we fully do this work the right way to bring about his righteousness in our country. So let's, let's go to my back porch for a second. Okay. We're just Mac and Mac. We're hanging. Smoker's on. Almost done. <laughs> Let's talk to people who are cut up. Not just us, but the folks who are crying out for justice, who are angry, who are tired, whose feet are swelling because they got so many miles on them. Mm. And it's the end of the day, and you take off your leadership hat, and you take off, you, you know, your your activist shoes and you are just back to being you. What kind of words do you have for the person who's in that space, who does have a minute to just, they're exhausted, but like let's speak to the heart for a second, to that person who is still a person, even though they're fighting for so many and against such ugly giant enemies. Yeah, so I've had to live into um, this whole idea of we're fighting for justice we're fighting for peace. Um, we're fighting for unity. Um, and in all of this, make sure that we guard our peace and guard our unity. Um, that at the end of the day, we are human beings called to walk alongside God, to do a divine work, and we can't do it in our own strength. Um, and so daily, 
recharge, refill, fill time with the Holy Spirit. Like my prayer, even driving here today was, God, what do you want? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to show up today? Um, I'm headed to a prayer vigil later on today. Father, what do you want me to pray? Like I could put words together, but what do you want to say? And understand that it is not on any power or might or strength of our own. It is all the working of the Holy Spirit in and through us that is going to bring the change that God wants to see in this country. So it's not on us. So allow that also to give you a place to breathe, because if it's not on me and I know it's all on the Holy Spirit, if I don't feel a prompting that day or the Holy Spirit is not leading me uh, to move in that way, then maybe that's that's that's, that's the day the Holy just wants me to breathe, to to to, to step back. I, I I will confess, I my desire was to be in those streets until those officers were prosecuted. But I also recognize that the God that's called me to be a uh, community organizer is also the God that's called me to be a father. Um, he's called me to be a husband. He's called me to be a pastor. And I need, to, I need to be present for my wife. I need to be present for my children. Now, I continue to do what I do so that my children and my grandchildren can have a better world when I leave this earth. Um, but I also know that I need to be present for them right now. Yeah. I don't want their only memories to be that daddy was this community organizer, pastor that um, that, that, that that protested and did demonstrations and had prayer vigils and, and 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 preached well on Sunday and then he died like that. I don't want that. And so leaning into where the Holy Spirit wants me to serve in any given moment has been the thing that has guarded my peace the most. And so there have been some days where I just completely just had to check out, spend time with him, uh, spend time with Netflix, my wife and family, and that's just been it. Um, so understand that we can only do so much in our power, in our strength, that we are called um, to this work through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, and that's the only way any significant change is ever gonna be made. Um, and sometimes you feel like, am I doing enough? Now I will admit, there's some people that ain't doing enough, that ain't doing enough, that haven't done anything, and you right, need to throw the Spirit. We're talking to the tired folk right now. Um, Know that we're just one person. Um, you're not called to be the next Martin Luther King. You're not uh, called to be the next Angela Davis. You are called to be whoever the Lord has created and called you to be for such a time as this. And so if you're not on a bullhorn protesting or if you're not downtown, because maybe life circumstances just won't allow you to be down there. You got a job, whatever the case, whatever it is. There still is a way for you to say, this is how I can show up in this capacity, and I'm going to guard the peace of the Holy Spirit that is given to me, um, and I'm going to move in these ways. And so I really I encourage all of my sisters and brothers. Um, I, had, um, I was on a conversation the other day with a young lady, and she said she's been out in the streets every night, every night, every night, every night, and somebody offered to bring her dinner. And uh, she was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. She said when she got home, um, her daughter said, Mama, have you eaten today? She said, no, but I got a piece of meat and some bread so I guess I'll eat that. She said, and I sat down and I'm eating this meat and this bread and I'm thinking to myself, I just had somebody offer to bring me dinner and I told them no. That was dumb. But we go and we go and we go and we do and we do and we do because something and I sometimes I feel like it's an attack of the enemy tells us that you're not doing enough you got to do more you got to you got to preach more you got to be on more calls you got to you got to sing louder you got to do all of this stuff and the Lord is like no sometimes I just need you to sit and be still yeah. and know that I am God and so I mean I think it leads into a lot of the self-care spiritual direction stuff that 
you and I lean into. But for all of those who have been out there fighting, who have been having those conversations, um, recognize what your limitations are and, and, and really ask the Lord, what is he calling you to do? I tell people all the time, I probably at this point in my life have time for four white heavy conversations a day. And then after that, I'm done. So if you're number five, I'm sorry. Just schedule an appointment for the next day. I ain't gonna be able to do it. Um, and that's just been honest. That's just been honest because you get sometimes you get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. Sometimes you don't want to speak to people. The other thing that I say, and I'll move on, is that I'm learning to guard my peace. Um, Jesus told the disciples, I've given you this message, go into the town, share this message. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and keep it moving. And so that has um, that has shifted the direction of how I see ministry, social justice ministry. I want to speak um, to the ears um, that want to hear and the hearts that want to receive. But I'm not going to force a message down anybody's throat and, and, and use my energy to force a message into somebody's heart that is not open to receive it. And so if somebody wants to have a conversation, I'm here for that because that's what the Lord's called and created me to do. But what I'm not going to do is sit in a room full of people who want to argue back and forth or debate all day, all night about what is is unequivocally truth. It's just the truth. Right. So, um, yeah. So I'm guard your peace. Guard your peace. Lean into the strength of the Holy Spirit. That was a long answer for a short question. Sorry. It's very William Mac. It's very William Mac. Right. So the, the one thing I, I'm finding a lot of hope in is just the word perhaps. It comes up a couple times in scripture. Mm -hmm. and just like perhaps, perhaps today is the day. Mm, that's good. Perhaps this is the season. Perhaps this is what God's been patient for. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. You know, it, it doesn't put this overwhelming pressure. It's kind of a light, almost playful word. Um, but in the evening, I get tired pretty quick. And I'm not even in the lines like like other folks. I'm just, maybe I'm out of shape. But uh, perhaps gives me a lot of comfort. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got these churches that we love, Grace and One Church. And, uh, we have some people in other cities who are, who are watching and have been participating and what do we practically do um, as a church and as individuals who are committed to Christ, who live as loved and are uprooting any bit of racism or like doing this work of repentance, let's, let's assume that all of that is being done. What, which is a lofty assumption, but right. um, assume all of that is being done. What do we as churches and as individuals within the churches, what do we practically do in this time? Um, so I, one of the questions that I was asked um, earlier was what are some of the, uh, the action items that the white church could take? Um, and I was thinking about that earlier this week. Um, and one of the things that really just hit me is, um, and I, I say this word, and some white folks cringe, so I'm, I'm going to say it, and I don't want you to cringe because it's still, it's still the truth, is that um, you, you all have priv a privilege that I don't have, right? Just by the color of your skin, that when you came from your mother's womb because your skin was lighter um, than mine, there's a certain privilege that you all have. Um, how do you then use your privilege, your platform, and your power to help move this cause forward, right? Um, your privilege and your platform, 
um, your white skin at the social club, your white skin on the job, your your white skin just around the water cooler and having these conversations. How do you how do you where where does that show up? Where are you in different places that you can help move this along, right? And again, it may not be you downtown at 60 Jefferson with the bullhorn, but it could be you saying on our job, you know what, I've noticed some of our hiring practices are not the same. Like, what is the platform? Preachers, what is your platform? I, I sent a letter um, to the, the pastors in our conference and was like, look, if you are not using the platform of your pulpit to condemn the sin of racism, you are complicit. And so what are the what are what are the what are the places where your privilege and your platform will allow you to move? Because there's places that you can go that I can't go. There's conversations that you can have that I can't have. There's places that you're permitted to go that I'm not permitted to go strictly because of your privilege and your platform. Then the third P is your privilege, your platform, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the strength to speak truth to power. The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the strength to 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 stand on the platform and speak the gospel truth of justice for all even if my board members may walk out or even if and i'm gonna say this and some pastors may cringe even if you know they recommend that you're fired would you be willing to stand for the cause of Christ to say, look, if they fire me from this church, then clearly this is not a church that I want to pastor because they can't receive the gospel message. You have privilege, you have a platform, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're coming off the wings of Pentecost. Um, and I, you know, as a growing up a Pentecostal kid, it was one of my favorite days on the, it is one of my favorite days on the liturgical calendar because I'm reminded that Jesus kept his promise that the power of the Holy Spirit would be here to embolden us, to carry the message and the truth of Jesus Christ, to carry the loving message of Jesus Christ to all the world. We have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to be afraid. Fear is not your portion. Or maybe you do be afraid, but recognize that in my own flesh, I have every right to be. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can stand up and I can speak out. Um, and so use your privilege, use your platform, use your power and say, okay, God, where do I now go that only, where, that only I can go? And, and speak and share. Um, for some of you, it may be a Facebook post. For some of you, um, it, 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 it may be on your jobs. It may be in your churches. I don't know, but all of us have, um, but all of us have this, this place that God has allowed us to be able to move in and have influence in. And there are people in our spheres of influence that, that we can speak to and say, you know what, y'all, let's have a conversation about that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. I'm not going to be a part of every book club conversation. I'll come to one. But you can have your book club. Have the book club conversation. I think that's a great move. I'm not going to be a part of it. But clearly, this is a group of people. It was a group of business owners. You have a group of people that you have a platform access to. Use your privilege, your platform, the power of the Holy Spirit, and begin to minister and move in that circle right there, right there where God is giving you space to move. Um, and well, so, in, in that case, if you're doing a book club, books are great. I love books. Make it practical. Yes. Make it tangible. Yeah. The danger of books is it can be theoretical, and it can never hit our life. That's why eyes roll at book clubs. Um, because we can feel like we have information, but no transformation. Yeah. And that is dangerous. I, I feel a little bit like COVID trained some people. Hmm. So, like, use your giftedness too, right? Yeah. Like, if you made masks for people, 
for COVID, make masks for protesters. They're out there. They're well aware. I was, I was down at Six and Jefferson. Well aware that they're within six feet. Mm-hmm. Every couple minutes, they're in the microphone and bullhorn saying, put on your mask, put on your mask. Mm-hmm. And they need masks. People mm-hmm. need masks. Make some masks. They need masks. They need water bottles. Um, yeah. You know, where, 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 your treasure are, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And so, you know, where are you giving? How are you serving? What, you know, money speaks, money talks. And so what are the areas for those who have an an extra amount of financial resources? Where are you sowing that money to help further the cause for justice and equality for all people? Like that stuff makes a huge difference. I know a few people who are combing their retirement funds to see who they're investing in. Not to make the most money, but to invest on purpose. Yeah. That's good work. Absolutely. If you're somebody who researches, research the law codes. Dig some of these up. There are some codes that are broken. Research your your church's constitution and your business's codes and mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. Let's let's uproot this. Yeah. Um, and you could do it within your gifting. Yes. Um, it just requires a little creativity. Yeah. So, Mac, you, thank you. Hey, Matt, thank you. Thank you for, for our churches. Um, what if you want to speak a benediction over us? Mm, I can do that. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are the God that created us all in your image and likeness. That you stepped out of eternity into time, shaped us out of the dust, and breathed your breath into each and every one of us. I thank you, O God, that when you created black skin, you said that these lives matter. And that when people say that in streets during protests, that we're only echoing what you said at the beginning of creation. And so now, God, I pray for my sisters and brothers who share my skin, but I also pray for my sisters and brothers who um, walk alongside us, God who may not look like me, God, who may not talk like me, God, but we're still in this collective family that you put together. Father, I pray blessing of peace. I pray blessings of hope. I pray blessings of strength over them, Father. I pray, Father, that you will lead us, guide us, and direct us, God, and that you will bring healing to our lands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, man.